Welcome to the Women on Fire podcast. We're on a mission to help you have your best menopause and rest of your life. I'm your host, Jenna Moore. I'm an accredited integrative health and menopause coach, and I've studied nutritional awareness, women's hormones through a functional medicine lens, and explored various modalities, including breathwork, mindset, and positive psychology. Join me and my guests as we discuss how to navigate the natural life transition of menopause and growing older. From waistlines, waning libidos and what to wear now we're over 40, we discuss it all. Women on Fire is sponsored by Men Me, a New Zealand-based Australasian company by women for women. Men Me specialises in scientifically validated all-natural supplements so you can experience freedom in menopause. I feel so honoured and excited to introduce today's guest. John Gray is the author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It was the number one best-selling book of the 90s, and it's still a bestseller, and it's available in over 100 countries and 45 languages. That's pretty incredible, don't you think? I don't talk to many people who don't say, when I mention men are from Mars, women are from Venus, I've got a copy of that book. (laughs) Since that time, John's written over 20 more books. He's a prolific author, and he's been a popular guest on shows like Oprah, The Inimitable Oprah, The Dr. Oz Show, Good Morning America, and many more. He's also been profiled in stellar publications such as Time and Forbes. To say he's had an impact on many, many relationships is probably an understatement. He uses his books and seminars and guest appearances to help men and women better understand and respect their differences. He combines communication techniques with nutritional wisdom for brain and body chemistry that support health, happiness, and romance in his approach. Amazing. In fact, his vast body of knowledge also provides natural solutions for supporting libido, hormone balance, sleep, and energy, as well as overcoming depression, anxiety, and stress, all things that are so relevant to us here at Women on Fire. John was married to his beautiful wife, Bonnie, for 34 years before, sadly, she passed in 2018. He has three granddaughters and four grandchildren. We are extremely privileged to have him as our guest on Women on Fire today. Hi, John. Thank you so much for joining us at Women on Fire today. We feel very privileged to have you. I'm really happy to be with you. Thank you so much. We work with women undergoing perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. There's also a term happening in the legal profession called menopausal divorce. And I know that you have an incredible insight into these things, which I'd love to speak with you about. But first, could we go back to where it all began for you? I mean, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Most people have read it and have a copy of it. But where did it all begin? I only learned the other day that you were a monk, apparently. Yeah, it uh, it began there. I was a, a celibate monk for nine years. Uh, that 
finding God and, and living a, a spiritual life and uh, enlightenment was kind of the thing back then. The Beatles had gone to India and said that you could uh, get high without crap, you know, you can get high without drugs and meditation was a way to do that. So I became the personal assistant to the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi of the Transcendental Meditation Movement and was a monk, a Hindu monk for that time uh, for nine years and changed my life as a, I was very sexually active as a teenager. I liked sex a lot. I still do at 71. And, but it was something I was taught that it would help you have more enlightenment experiences. And it was true. I, I gained my sense of self, but after nine years, I was done and started having sex and traveled around a bit like a Casanova. And it was very appealing to women to, to me in that situation. And I would interview women before making love. And I had to learn, you know, back in back in the 60s, 70s, we didn't know that much about sex. Now there's lots of books, but there wasn't that much known. So it was a big eye opener for me. And I thought, well, gee, I'm good at teaching. So why don't I teach people what I've learned about sex after nine years of not having sex and then having plenty of it? And people <laughs> love having conversations about this because people weren't doing that. And that then evolved into, well, men and women are definitely different in the bedroom. <laughs> so nobody uh. that. And women's needs were different from men's and so forth. So that then evolved into, well, why do we have sex in the first place? And it's to feel love, to grow in love. And it's a doorway. If you're not having children, you know, the hedonistic pursuit of pleasure is one thing. It's what some people enjoy. What I found as a monk simply the hedonistic seeking of pleasure depleted my spiritual energy. Uh, it's a very concrete experience when you, when you can meditate 10, 15 hours a day and effortlessly, you, you experience a, a, like a cloud softness around you. You know, you've got this physical body, but you've also got this other extended self and it's wonderful. But if I had sex without love, it would deplete, it would deplete. And sex can be the most beautiful thing if it's done with love if it's not, it becomes another addictive pleasure. And I'm not making right. those people wrong for that. It, I certainly did that as a teenager. <laughs> it was fun, but it certainly didn't create the, the enlightened type state that I live in now. I just think uh, so. So that's part of my past. But that then evolved into love and how do you keep love going? And what I found is uh, just as in the bedroom, outside the bedroom, men and women were very different as well. And that became my journey of about 10 years being in relationships uh, to discover a lot of examples of how understanding our differences can make relationships better, not trying to pull us apart, but having a positive way of going, oh, she needs this from me. I would have never thought of that. And, and now I know, so I can make a small behavior adjustment. And sometimes small adjustments make a world of difference. Wow, like baby steps and most things. And also, I believe it was one of those books that was turned away because it was too sexist at the time. Oh, yeah. Is that correct? That, that's correct. There was, a, I wrote a book before Men Are From Mars, uh, which okay. was not accepted by any publishers. I had to self-publish it. It was called Men, Women, and Relationships. And uh, I was considered... I won't say everybody thought I was sexist. Publishers did. And uh, in audiences, there were always some people who came there to be disruptive. You know, sometimes people want to come and be disruptive. And just to say men and women are different, some people consider that's a sexist thing to say. 
And I remember for several years teaching my classes, men, women, and relationships. And I just, I wanted, I kept looking for a, a way to communicate this so people don't take it so seriously and they can sort of open up to the ideas. And I'm just talking from my experience, which is now millions of people, but back then it wasn't. Yes. And so I was sharing these ideas. And then that day happened. I was giving the example after the movie E.T., uh, which was very popular in the 80s. I just said to my audience, uh, imagine your husband's an ET and all the women laughed. And then some woman said, where's your husband from? And I said, Mars. And that I got chills in my body at that moment. I know this is what I'm here to do. And while I've written books on a lot of different things, I always keep coming back to a voice that says, let's understand our differences in a positive way. Wow, that's amazing. And so then you morphed into you have a you've studied psychology as well haven't you i have a phd in psychology so when i came oh, back PhD. i did a, a correspondence course with the university in santa monica no in san rafael california where i got a phd on my basically my innovative ideas on sexual enlightenment okay enlightened wow. enlightened sexuality and so forth was my thesis that's amazing. So beyond Mars and Venus, that incorporates some of the hormone things, doesn't it? And estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, which are going through so many shifts with our community and perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause. They can yes, yeah, taking place. affect how you behave in a relationship. Would you, could you go into that? Oh yeah, of course. You know, I love going into it, you know, so I wrote Men from Mars. I've written several other books along the way, some on our brain differences, so forth, and our health differences, but more and more the resistance to recognizing that men and women are different <laughs> increases. Okay. It was yeah. big then. It's bigger now in many places. And so I keep trying to find a way using science to help, uh, help people understand it very practically that these are biological differences and, even there's research now, I just read today more research. I try to stay abreast of the research as it comes out. And they, they did babies in the womb had significant brain differences, developmental differences between wow. boys and girls. Okay. Even in the womb, because often the universities today, it's like their religion where they say that, you know, gender difference is just something our culture has created. Now I'm a culture has a huge impact on who we are. No doubt about it. But if we look for thousands of years, there's been an evolution of culture that actually supports men. And when a man's in a traditional role, now, first of all, I am very liberal and I'm all for progressing and so forth. But let's just look at very traditional roles of men and women. The culture created a situation where having men do dirty, dangerous, difficult jobs to make life easier for women so they could be home and raising children with their neighbors and having mm -hmm. babies. That's how it used to be. I grew up in that. So I've seen it. I've gone down to the different tribes around the world and I've seen that men have certain behaviors, women have certain behaviors and their culture determines those behaviors because those behaviors actually most efficiently produce the hormones that a male body needs in order to make babies. And those behaviors that women would do would stimulate the hormones that a woman requires, that stimulation to make babies. And we have a different set of hormones for the man to do his job and for the woman to do her job in order to do the most important job in the evolutionary history, mm -hmm. which is to make babies. Okay, so 
anything that helps women make babies hormonally is going to increase her feeling of well-being. And for example, the, the time when a woman can make is necessary to make a baby is when she is making love. Okay. When she's having sex, a very pleasurable act, the hormones that allow you to feel really, really good lead you towards sex. And, and for a man, the hormones that allow him to make babies are associated with those activities that men have traditionally done, which is doing things to provide for the woman's well-being and safety. So we like providers of safety and security and women provide something for men besides making babies is they provide enormous appreciation, acceptance and, and trust, you know, they, to have people admire you is an amazing experience for, mm-hmm. for a woman and a man. But for a man, if somebody's admiring me and appreciating me and being grateful for me, it raises my wow. testosterone levels. This is biology. This is simple biology. When a man anticipates being successful, his testosterone goes up. When a man doesn't anticipate success, his testosterone goes down. Real simple, simple function. And when a man is depressed, his testosterone is down. Ironically, when a man is angry, his testosterone is moving down as his female hormones Mm. are going up. And the female hormones, to simplify it, is primarily estrogen. When estrogen goes up, a woman's well-being increases. If a woman has a, a sexual climax, for example, her estrogen levels have doubled. At the time of ovulation, her estrogen levels double so she can make a baby. So what are those behaviors that allow a woman to raise estrogen? Well, anytime a woman is going to a doctor's office, for example, for help, her estrogen levels will go up if she anticipates Mm. getting help. Whenever a woman anticipates getting support, that means I, I need something outside myself, my estrogen levels will go up. Now, why would nature make her this way? Well, if you're going to have a baby, you need help. So, so before you can have a baby, you have to create a situation in your life where you can depend on someone outside yourself because you're going to need help. It all just fits together perfectly. And we look at the, the biology of women and that when a woman is depressed, two major factors are occurring biologically. There's other things, of course, always happening in the body. There's, there's stress levels cortisol levels. So when there's cortisol levels going on, stress hormones are being produced in a woman's body. Her estrogen levels will be lower than normal. They will go down or her progesterone levels will be lower than normal. Either depending on what time of the month, it's either lower estrogen that's causing her distress or it's low progesterone that's causing her distress as a major biological factors. So it's just simple logic. Let's take time to learn what behaviors from a woman's side that can create her estrogen, more estrogen. And then after her ovulation, she still needs to have some extra estrogen, but she needs more progesterone. And so then you identify, okay, well, what is it that makes progesterone? (laughs) What is it that, what behaviors will stimulate the production of that? And so I wrote a whole book about that. Which book is that? That's called Beyond Mars and Venus. Oh, that's in that one. Yeah, Mars and Venus. Because, see, we, there's been evolution since I wrote Men Are From Mars. Now, way, mm-hmm. way more women are independent, autonomous, single, uh, 
run companies and they're wondering why can't I get pregnant? They're wondering why am I not able to settle down with a man? Oh, why do I even need a man? Not sure about that either. And where are the good men? A lot of questions come up. And then a man from their side, they don't have the same motivation that men used to have. So part of part of uh, having high test he healthy testosterone doesn't have to be high, just healthy testosterone as a man. That's a motivating hormone. When my testosterone goes up, I'm motivated to take action because testosterone builds muscles for action. And so let's say, well, as soon as I start this interview with you, because I'm anticipating success, that's one, and anticipating success at helping someone, supporting someone. Nice. Then in that situation, my testosterone goes up. And I could I can measure that before a talk. It will practically double almost every time when I start to when I'm in front of a computer or if I'm helping my wife, I'm helping a client solve a problem. If I'm anticipating success, if I don't anticipate success, I don't get such a bump. And that's where a man would experience nervousness, for example, and he's producing estrogen. Any emotion that you feel, whether it be positive or negative, doesn't matter if you're feeling emotions there's estrogen, that's feeling. And if you're thinking, analyzing with no emotion, that's primarily testosterone. Now, as a human being, I'm always a blend of both. I'm always making testosterone, I'm always making estrogen. But as men, it's like a seesaw. If my estrogen goes high, it can cause my testosterone to go low. Mm -hmm. And that's called addiction. See, remember, estrogen happens whenever you're depending on something to make you happy. Now, it could be you're depending on something that's good for you to make you happy, or it could be depending on something that's bad for you to make you happy. It doesn't matter. As long as you're depending on something to make you happy, that's going to produce estrogen. When you depend on yourself to be happy, your actions, your thoughts, your behavior, now you're more on your male side. We call it male side, testosterone side. And when, when men are too dependent outside themselves for their happiness and fulfillment, they have low testosterone, tend to be unwilling to make commitments. Uh, they don't have confidence in themselves. They don't have motivation in themselves. They're primarily motivated for uh, things that make them feel good where somebody's doing something for them as opposed to actually doing something for others. Wow. So this is a big, it's a big analysis. You know, it's like nobody's ever said no. this before, explained mm. it this way before. You know, I, I look at a lot of my, my YouTube talks or the comments and people say, I had to listen to that over and over and over. It was so, I never heard this. It makes sense to me. Now I understand things. And there's so many peculiar things that a woman might say about a man and things a man might say about a woman that suddenly begin to make sense. Right. If we can make sense of each other, harmony is a greater chance of harmony. Let's put it that way. A greater chance for our own creativity to solve the challenges we face in our relationships and in our lives. And when it comes to our health, very, very important because ultimately when you come to health, you, one of the major uh, obstacles to longevity and good health and libido and all those things is hormonal balance. Because mm. when you're, when your male, female hormones, as a man, I have both a woman, she has both when they're not in the right balance for you, for you, for your healthy balance, everybody's got their healthy balance. Uh, if they're not in a healthy balance, then the symptom of that is elevated stress hormones. 
So just simply imbalance causes elevated stress hormones, or let's say situation happens that elevates your stress hormones. Now your hormones will tend to go out of balance automatically. And by knowing how to come back in balance, you can now regulate your own stress response to life to where you have less stress response to life and less necessary for a few minutes. So how does the, all this translate to the changing hormones of menopause? Because your progesterone basically leaves the building and your estrogen goes up and down in peri, fluctuates wildly, and then it reduces very, very much in postmenopause. So when you say when you're feeling good, then your estrogen rises, how does that work when you have diminished estrogen? We, exactly. And the key there is there's such a reality as not enough hormones. That's one reality. Mm-hmm. Another reality is as you start going through these changes for a woman at 40 to 50 in that whole range, her, her hormone production can go down naturally and doesn't affect her sex life, doesn't have to affect her well-being in any way, as long as there's the right balance. Say now, but you can work on balance, but then there's also another reality. If you've got nothing to balance, now that that's a problem. So women who have more severe symptoms during menopause, for example, hot, hot flashes, we'll call that, or just erupted upset feelings and, and all kinds of things, uh, overreactions to situations. When that is a hormonal imbalance, and it's also starting to be a disruption of not enough hormones. When your body is making that transition, it's not that because you're no longer fertile. Okay. You're losing your, you have, don't have the eggs. So you're not making the estrogen. Uh, you're not making the progesterone. The cycle is stopped. What happens then is your body still makes hormones. It comes not from your ovaries. It comes from your adrenal gland. Mm-hmm. Now for most women today, it happens because their adrenal gland is have been overworked throughout their younger years. Mm. Now you've got a, an adrenal gland that really can't crank out the estrogen that your body needs and the healthy balance. Behavior to a great extent and communication and self-esteem, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others, how we relate to the world, all of these things stimulate the production of hormones. And if your adrenal gland is stressed, you can have that stimulation, but you don't get the positive result. So there's like lots of things when, you know, if you start looking at chronic fatigue uh, as one of the symptoms, uh, you just feel really tired, no motivation, can't get out of bed, irritability, you know, those things are all adrenal problems. So you could practice the things I talk about to stimulate female hormones. Right. And it would help, but it won't help as much. Okay, there is a there's a process of healing the adrenal gland and you go to a naturopathic doctor and they'll give you all kinds of really nice uh, suggestions. I mean, some simple ones that that I've seen really help women a lot is uh, high doses of vitamin C, Uh, vitamin C and and not synthetic vitamin C. But there's a lot of a lot of people now have these uh, vitamin C that actually comes from fruits. Mm. Okay, so this is. This is your ideal thing is to get a natural source of vitamin C and, you know, 500 milligrams twice a day is of natural sourced as opposed to synthetic. 
Okay, so that that's really good. You can even triple that. If you do too much, you'll get diarrhea. So you want to build up your vitamin C. Another one is taurine. Mm. Taurine is an amino acid. You could do, you know, 5,000 milligrams a day. That would be five capsules. Uh, and I've seen research on this and help people with this, that this actually can restore the adrenal gland uh, function. But, and then there's uh, another, I'll just say three supplements. So not too complicated. Another one is MSM. Do you know MSM? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so you have beautiful skin and MSM makes everything beautiful. Okay. <laughs> it's the building block itself for building block of the body. And that's MSM. So you get those and taurine as well as amino acid that will help to make your skin smooth and wonderful. It just makes you younger, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Love and that. it all starts in vitamin C, three very powerful support for women. So that's if they were doing that and they were making shifts in their behavior that we'll talk about that would then produce female hormones. It's literally like you have this cycle when you're younger, which forces you to sh sort of shift gears between three different modes. Uh, and we have a whole class at MarsVenus.com called How to Get Your Me Time that talks about these three modes. One is me time. That's self-nurturing. One is uh, nurturing to other people. And another one is solving problems, achieving goals, making money. Okay, so you, you have, I'm taking care of other people and I'm taking care of me, but I also, I, I'm, I'm nurturing me by going to someone to help me. Okay, so that would be behaviors that, that you sort of really are drawn to automatically because those hormones are being produced at different stages of your cycle. And we can explore that more. But once you're at menopause, you don't have a biological direction of what should I be doing now? Yeah. And that's where having knowledge of these three aspects, it's very important that you have a sense of testosterone, uh, which naturally increases as you get older, if you're a woman, uh, ideally does. And that testosterone is I'm solving problems. Okay. I'm achieving goals. I'm providing for others. And it's not necessarily nurturing activities. I'm, I could be doing it for money or I could be doing it for, to achieve the goal, but it's more your male side. And that's important, but that's only part of what's important. And the other part of it is I need to continue feeling I can depend on others for support and what support do I need? And we're going to look at what does a woman need? That's sometimes women don't know what they need or they think they do. And it's not really what they need. Just like I just spent some time talking about what your adrenal gland needs to replenish itself. Well, most people didn't know that. No. <laughs> well, what I'm going to explain is there's things you need as a woman that maybe you didn't know that are just as important as I want to be out there making money or I want to have <clears throat> uh, achieving my goals and so forth. And then there's there's another. So the, the, the place where we produce the most hormones of estrogen are places where there's uh I'm depending on someone to fill me up, to make me feel loved, to make me feel uh, understood, to make me feel supported, to make me feel safe. Uh, and it's always about primarily receiving, not that you're not giving, but the, the estrogen goes up when you feel I can depend on someone for something. This is so helpful. It could be learning a new class, learning a new language, learning how to dance, having a dance partner, as opposed to dancing by yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dancing by yourself is not estrogen producing to, to a great extent. It's dancing with someone where you're 
you know, dependent upon your partner. I was just talking to my neighbor, you know, she's post-menopause and everything. And I said, what do you do? You know, she's divorced and she said, I dance, I dance, I love it, I love it. And my dance teacher, he is so good, okay? And, and he's gay, she says. So she's not depending on him for a relationship of an intimate type, but for a, a lead, someone she can flow into in a dance. There's a sense of, I need to be with someone who knows more than me about something that can guide me and support me in some meaningful way. That's all estrogen producing. And we don't want to stop finding that in our lives. There's good things that are estrogen producing and not good things. Uh, one good thing is eating nourishing food. Mm -hmm. I'm depending on this food to be healthy. But if you're depending on food that doesn't make you healthy, it, it's empty calories, then you're, you keep going. I'm, you depend too much on it. You over depend on it. You feel like I need more of it. I need more of it. Uh, I noticed even from, and I have a female size, so I'll talk from that. Uh, <clears throat> I started getting in the habit of, of uh, having snacks before bed and hard to break that habit until I realized, well, I did means I'm more, I need more nutrition during the day. Mm. And as soon as I'm amping up the nutrition of food I ate during the day, then I didn't need the snacks at night. So, so overeating is a sign that one is not getting the nutrition they need, or it's a sign that there's other places that they're overlooking to get what they need. Mm. Okay. So let's say a single woman, and I say all single women need a man in your life. That's just my belief. Okay. So <laughs> it's not absolutely written in stone, but uh, that's one of the things that's missing for most women when they're single right. is if they had a man in their life that they could depend on and trust, their lives would be happier, more full. And then they go, where do you find a guy like that? Well, that's another problem. Yeah. That's another book. <laughs> but but at least to open up the idea that I'm missing something inside. And so if you're missing something that's significant, what the brain will tend to do to avoid feeling the discomfort of that is over depend on something else. So you can become overly dependent on eating, or you can be overly dependent on social media, mm. or you can overly dependent on, and this is the biggest addiction in the female world that I see, over dependent on looking at problems, looking at comp having complaints. Okay. So what's wrong? Over dependent on looking at what's wrong. It's called picky. And you know, when you're picky, you say, yeah, but that could be so much better. And I go, yeah, it could be so much better, but it's quite nice now too. Okay. This is called life. This is reality. <laughs> but the brain, and this is a uh, for both men and women, when you're in a stress state, okay, that's when, you're, when your hormones are out of balance, it's the same thing as you're in a stress state. There's a bias that happens in your brain where blood flow goes to a certain part of the brain that only looks at what's wrong. Now, I'll give you an example of that. If you, if you were to go and you're thinking of spending a million dollars or $5 million, whatever it is, on a new home, and you're in the process of buying that home, you're going to hire someone. You literally hire someone to find out everything that's wrong with the house before you make the commitment. Okay. <laughs> now, if, if you were to visit my home, a nice home, uh, all you would see is how wonderful it is. Oh, look at this. He's got a swimming pool, a view of the mountain, a private drive. Oh, he's got this. He's got this. What a lovely house. Oh, where did you get that statue? And what about that painting? You know, it's just like I used to do tours of my house when I was younger. Oh, really? You know, it's just all these travels around the world. I would collect things. Anyway, it was all fun. It's, the point is, if you decided to buy that house, you'd hire someone to look at what's wrong with it. 
Because when you make an investment, now that's fight or flight. What if I was to pick the wrong house? Oh, yes. And so it's mm. trying to pick the right house, you know, spinning the risk is there. Is this really as good as it looks? So your brain will go into a bias. You can't stop it. That's a fight or flight reaction. And that fight or flight reaction always occurs in your body at the same time when your hormones are out of balance. And when you can put your hormones in balance, that flight or fight reaction goes away and you can still be cautious about what you do. That's called just being intelligent, but you don't have this 10 times bias of looking at negativity. And I think everybody's had that experience of looking at your partner thinking they're so wonderful. I love them so much. And then a day later, remembering everything that's wrong with them. Okay. It just, that's called triggering that stress response. And anytime you're having that stress response, the threat, danger, fight or flight, there's going to be in your body. There is this shift. If you're a woman, what happens is this is so interesting mm-hmm. is, oh, there's negativity. I can't depend on you. Therefore, I have to do it myself. So you shift from the dominance of female hormones to producing male hormones. And that's that's the tendency as women as they get older and and part of having a life where you didn't get your your emotional needs met with the opposite sex. There's a well, if I can't get that, then I don't then I'll do it myself. Then I'll do it myself and I'll do it myself. And it's, a, it's like a snowball that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because if you do it yourself, now here's a real little underlying thing for women to know in relationships. As soon as you shift from being your female side to your male side, the man in your life will shift from being in his male side to the female side. Oh. This is your, you're in a relationship, right? There's this balancing thing that goes on. So now I, I, I gave one way of looking at that. You go to your male side, he goes to his female side. Now let's look at it logically. You feel like I can't depend on him to do that. I've asked him three times. He never, he always forgets. I guess I'm not that important to him. I'll just have to do it myself. Mm. And as soon as you say to a man, I'll just do it myself. A man's going to go, great. I don't have to do it. <laughs> and that's the way men are. One of the dynamics that is quite different in men than women is there's a, it, you know, I make jokes about this. This is a pure science. It's a joke, but it's, this is a, it's like we have a gene that says never do anything you don't have to do. <laughs> I love it. And women don't have, mm. you see, women have a gene that says whatever you can do, do. Yes. Continue. Give of yourself fully, freely. If you give to others, they'll give to you. It's all, you know, generosity flow it out. But men have this thing, which is if I don't have to do it, then I can get somebody else to do it. Why should I do it? And, and, and where does that come from? We can just say, I can give you millions of reasons or hundreds of reasons why he might be thinking that way. But one way, simply, if you do what nobody else wants to do, you get paid more. If you get paid more, then you have more to give to your spouse. So it's not, it's not like it's a selfish guy. He's just thinking about himself. Another fun example is that men are like emergency workers. You know, we sit back and we conserve our energy until we have to use it. You know, you, you can't just suddenly hand, if you, emergencies come up and you see when there's an emergency, men come to life, you know, they're just, Oh, I'm ready to go. Okay. As opposed to, uh, always ready to go. They have this action and rest cycle, action and rest cycle. And women have this 
three-way cycle, which is I need to give to myself, I need to give to others, and I need to uh, do my testosterone thing, achieve my goals and so forth. So uh, in each of those basic actions that I've observed in many women, you can see that there's hormonal relationships between all of them. And the trap happens is when women feel I can't depend on someone, then they sh that's the female hormone. Look, oh, like my daughter right now is, is pregnant with a little baby. And now she just gave birth to a baby and it's now a month and a half. Oh, gorgeous. And every day she calls me to run an errand for her. Dad, would you go pick this up for me? Dad, we go do this. And dad, we help us with this. And I say, sure, I'm right there. Fortunately, I have a very flexible schedule. Mm. And, but she's just so happy. I don't think I've ever felt more love from my daughter than right now. <laughs> <laughs> and she really needs my help. You know, she, she, this is a time in the new baby and all that. Uh, anyway, so I, I'm helping them a lot and that brings forth my male hormones and her female hormones of feeling safe and secure and feeling supported and whatever are just glowing. So she's glowing as a new mother would be anyway, but she has the support she needs. Other women, I, I just have tremendous compassion for women who try to do this alone. And that's a tough job. Yeah. It's a real job. And mm. what it means is all making testosterone the whole time. And usually then they have a hard time breastfeeding. They don't time to breastfeed. And when the mother is distressed, quite often the baby will cry more. Uh, that's another book I wrote on heart on emotions. When the mother suppresses what she's unhappy about, the baby tends to act out. Oh. And, and you can see this, any parent, I know, same thing for the father suppressing. When I take my daughter to the grocery store or something when they were young, and you know, you want your child to behave really well in public, right? Yeah. So it would be those times where I want to behave really well. And then they start throwing their little tantrum or something. No, I want this daddy out. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, and every mother, I think, has that experience. Almost every mother for everything I say. But it's some days when stress is building up, you just want to put a lid on it. You're just trying to mm. put a lid People say, you want to put a lid on it. That's when your child is is most uncooperative, we'll put it that way. <laughs> they're picking up on this attention. They have enough stress of their own, but now they're picking up on yours. It's making it uh, more intensified. And then you're less able to sort of hold that child and embrace it with love and patience and understanding and caring and you know, an empathy that goes in that helps calm the child. But if, if you're stressed, you don't have that to give. Mm -hmm. So that's... The, the one paradox when I talk about these simple ways of understanding testosterone is you're achieving goals to get a result. I'm doing this because I'm going to get a result. Another one is estrogen, which is primarily I de I'm depending on someone to get a result for me. And the, the third, progesterone, very important, is not a lot of research on that, but my observations yes. of it. Mm -hmm. so uh, when progesterone goes up, when you're in a situation where you're doing what you like to do. So mm. you're doing what you like to do and there's, you like to do it and there's no stress. Uh, what, what we know to be the case is that when women are stressed, they're feeling I have to do it all myself and their testosterone goes up. And then we also look at when testosterone goes up, testosterone uses up progesterone. Mm. Okay, so why would we have enough progesterone if she has testosterone? because the testosterone used it up. So when women are goal oriented all the time, they're achieving goals 
but they're not enjoying themselves. They're not doing what they like to do. That's the sort of the, I really like doing this. You know, my wife, Bonnie would come home and she'd say, Oh, it was like crazy. The copier didn't work again. And so-and-so called whatever. And she complained a bit about her job. And this is before I learned how to listen. <laughs> my whole thing is, is you listen, ask questions. You don't give solutions. Right. Mm. But I didn't know that. And, and I would say to her, it only took a few times to learn, but she would be talking about problems at work and whatever. I say, honey, just quit that job. I'm rich. You don't have to go there. <laughs> she said, I love my job. I just need to talk about it. See, that that means she's doing something she loves to do, but she needed to talk about it for a while. Right. And that would be when she needs to talk about it was actually at a time where she was wanting to have more estrogen. So estrogen goes up the most powerful estrogen stimulator that I've seen now today in women. And the reason I say today is because if you're living in the Amazon or you're living in my neighborhood, when I was growing up, my mother didn't need to talk to my father because her primary need was someone who could provide financial support and security for her while she raised seven children. Wow. Okay. That was what she needed. You know, when you, when you raise a children, you need, you need a policeman at home. I'm going to tell your father. Okay. That'd be one thing. And the other one is he's got a good job and he works hard. He's gone most of the time. She didn't have the, the emotional needs that women have today. And, but what I have seen as a therapist, and most therapists have seen this and most best-selling books are about, you know, communication, communication, yes. communication, <laughs> very important. Why has it become so important? Primarily because when a woman doesn't need a man for traditionally women needed men for provide for security and providing they still do but not as much but not nearly as much we'll put it that way so what does she need him for because you can't produce estrogen if you don't have a need where you're looking to someone else to fulfill it okay so that this is the whole thing and relationships are the primary estrogen producers throughout time throughout history is you'd have a man in your life who protect you and provide for you. And then you can make the estrogen to make a baby and raise a family together. When, when the culture was supportive of that, it worked out well when the culture wasn't, you know, when there's when there's well, tyranny going on around you, then it doesn't always work out, but the wisdom of culture. And I'll say this again, because people say, well, culture just makes this this way. And I say, no culture supports us in being this way. Our culture doesn't support us in being this way. And our culture today does not support women in being the homemaker and doesn't support men in being the provider. See, my mother didn't have to work. My dad could do it all. It's hard to find a man who can support his family without the mother having to go to work, mm. particularly when we have children. So the culture doesn't support these things, but we can create a new culture that does allow for women to be more independent for men to be more on their emotional side, be more fulfilled in their life with more love. You can have a culture that supports that by de redefining, okay, what are our biggest needs and the needs for women, if we put it in terms of they need more estrogen, well, what produces estrogen? Well, we discovered over the last 30 years that therapy raises estrogen. Really? Well, talk therapy. Mm. What's talk therapy about? Well, it became so clear to me when I saw in USA Today in an article, 90% of the people who go to therapists are women. I just thought I women liked me. But then I saw that, that this, was, this was women who, if they have a chance to talk to somebody who's nodding their head and asking questions, sometimes has reasonable answers to give, 
guidance, but primarily talking was a benefit to women. Now I've tried this out. If I have men come to me and I just want them to talk, they feel like I'm wasting time, wasting money. You know, what do you think I should do about this? What's the strategy? What's going to make? So men want that fix it. Many women do want that fix it, fix it too, without a doubt, because they're on their male side. But what helps in therapy is where women actually get a taste of what they're really needing. Sometimes we don't know what we need until we get it. Mm, That's another mm. important thing. We don't really know what we need. But when a woman comes to therapy with me, sometimes she just wants to talk about problems. I know what she needs is to talk more about it. And I'll say, well, we need to explore this more and tell me more. How do you feel about this? And what else do you feel about that? And lo and behold, at the end of the conversation that day, she feels much better. Now, what happened is if you're able to talk about what's inside of you, bring it out. You're bringing out what's inside. Someone's penetrating into you. See, it's like the most masculine thing you can do is to listen to somebody. And the most feminine thing you can do is to share what's inside, particularly when it comes to feelings and emotions or things that trigger emotions and the things that you would never do in the office. You wouldn't do it in the workplace. You wouldn't do it with many friends. Uh, maybe there's a few that you would actually share things with, but women are very protective about not being one down. You know, it's like, oh, you're having problems in your relationship? Tell me all about it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to tell you about it. So there's there's a place where there's issues that go on inside of women that get hidden. And when you push emotions down, you're making testosterone. When you share emotions, you're making estrogen. Wow. This is my work is kind of a revelation as again it's always counterculture to some degree because culture is not working right now and yes. it, it's we, we have such a panic if a man doesn't want to talk about his feelings well actually the first thing he can do to if he has upset feelings let's look at that for a moment when a man has negative emotions what that means is his testosterone is low and his estrogen is higher so he's feeling but he's feel, not feeling positive when a man is testosterone is up way up he could have no feeling okay that, that could just be no feeling at all he's solving problems he's not connected to anything but as he brings in feeling his testosterone might come down a little bit but he has lots of emotion those emotions will always be positive that's why at a time where a man's testosterone levels are the highest is when he's having sex and if he's having sex with a woman who he cares about his estrogen levels will be at a very high level but his testosterone levels will be at a higher level and this is the, the alchemy of making love, which is the best thing you can do in relationships is to bring, to awaken those hormones again and again and again. And since we're talking about perimenopause, I, I was just yesterday in one of my classes, one woman was saying, you know, John, I just, you, you, you always recommend going, if your couples aren't having sex, they should read my book, Mars Venus in the Bedroom. And so she said, I, I just read that book. I took it to heart and I just said, I'm going to start having sex with my husband. And she said, she said it was a miracle happened. <laughs> her husband changed. I mean, he was like more attentive. How can I be helpful to you? He would be listening to her more. It's because what it does, it awakens the, the testosterone in a man big time, which allows him to be more focused on her, more motivated, more interested in her than he was before. Uh, <clears throat> and also, when you're when you're having sex because you're naked even if you don't know how to be vulnerable emotionally which i think all women need to learn how to do it's the number one producer of estrogen wow yeah just being uh, revealing what you're suppressing revealing what you're suppressing 
See, for example, my mother wasn't suppressing anything because there wasn't a lot of stuff coming up because she was doing traditional female things where she felt loved and supported. But when women are on their male side, that means an eight hour job where you're, you know, maybe don't even like it, but you have to do it to make money. So when you're, when your motivation is I'm doing it to make money, you're, you're pushing your own feelings down. And many women don't even know what they're feeling. That's why there's this big, huge industry called therapy to help women talk about what's going on. And then they start realizing that a lot of feelings are down there and lots going on and a lot of conflicting thoughts and feelings are happening. But in that process, estrogen gets produced. Uh, another thing that produces estrogen is complaining. This would be activities that are not productive that produce estrogen. Like that produces over, estrogen. That ah. produces estrogen. Yes. Anytime you're sharing what's inside of you and you have a willing listener, <laughs> you're going to be producing estrogen. And <clears throat> then if you're, if you're, we're going to bring another dynamic in here. It feels good. Well, we all know it feels good to vent and Jewish world is kvetch. You know, it's, it, I just need to vent vent out what's going on and I'll feel better. You know, that was one of the basic ideas of Minute from Mars, teaching men, just let her talk, ask questions and, and be interested. And she will shift from being in a negative mood to a positive mood. But, <clears throat> but that doesn't always work because there's another dynamic which says that sharing is where you're just revealing to somebody what's inside and you're depending upon their empathy, their understanding, their caring, and their respect. These are key, key messages that a woman needs for her self-esteem. Uh, you know, some people might say, no, I just need myself for my self-esteem. Yes, I, I need my self-esteem from me, but also it helps when other people are thinking I'm a wonderful person. Okay. <laughs> so there's yeah. a balance there, right? So well, for a woman to share what's inside with a friend or a therapist, they're going to produce a lot of estrogen. Why? Because they feel seen. They feel heard. The act of sharing is not causing it. It's that I revealed to you a part of me and you're caring. You feel empathy. You validate. You respect me. You see me. That's, that's the stimulator of estrogen in that case. And why does it stimulate? Because we need that. And she needs it even more. Okay. Men need reassurance. You know, I, I look at my, my bank statement every day. I look at my bank. That's my reassurance. I made that money knowing that I'm a good guy. Uh, and then I have my, if I don't work, then I don't, I don't see the results I'm producing in the world. Then my self-esteem, my energy will start going down. You know, it, sometimes I have feelings like, you know, what am I here for in this world? When I was a young guy, you know, what am I here for? And when I have a young guy like that, he says, go get a job, go out and do something. And then you know why you're here. Okay? It's just, it, wow. it's making a difference in some meaningful way. You have to do that. That's our males. That's our male side. Mm. Male side. But the woman needs to feel I'm seen without, based on what I do. That's part, that's your male side, but your female side is more important because that's what produces estrogen. It's not what you're doing for me. It's my understanding of what you're going through. What you, what you feel, what you think, what you care about. I'm validating that. That's very, very important. Uh, so that's why talking and sharing is very important. Now, that's called sharing. Then there's another thing that interferes with the success of the process. And that's called 
I'm going to share something with my husband so that he will change. Oh, see, that's mm. different. If you're sharing with your therapist. They're not trying to change me. If they're sharing with a friend, they're not trying to change their friend. They're just sharing. Okay. We're friends. We like to share with each other to feel connection. You're just seeking connection. But when it's your spouse, when you're sharing, there's this usually not, doesn't have to be this way, but usually I'm sharing Ouch! you stepped on my foot. You should stop doing that. Right. And, and how can I get them to, and if I say, well, don't do that anymore. Cause you're complaining. If you, that's called a complaint. So there's a sharing and there's a complaint. A complaint is using negative emotions, sharing your negative feelings in order to change somebody that becomes the brain lights up and goes, Oh, if I want the outer world to change, then I need to share negative emotions. The brain becomes addicted to sharing negative emotions because the brain goes, oh, how to feel better? I have to change the outer world. How to change the outer world? Use my negative emotions to get what I want. And even though it doesn't work, <laughs> it works a little bit. <laughs> and then in the long run, it doesn't work at all. But so the brain now thinks, if I want more, I should use negative emotions to validate my request for more. It's like if you stepped on my foot 10 times, hey, you got to change, right? So you want to amplify your negative emotions to get what you want. So if you're using negative emotions to get what you want, usually it doesn't work. Mm. So then what the brain goes, it must amplify. Well, you must not hear me. <laughs> you must not understand. These are automatic reactions that go on where then couples are raising their voices and they're arguing, getting louder. These are all signs that you're no longer behaving in the prefrontal cortex of your brain, but you're more like an animal who just gets louder and louder because they're not getting the result they want. So anyway, the biology here is such that when you use negativity to get what you want, you're now growing wiring in your brain. So that becomes an easy place to go to get what you want instead of having to learn a new skill of how to get what you want, which is you use positive emotions and wisdom to get what you want. Because see, complaints don't work, but they do initially give you the feeling of estrogen because you're sharing your feelings. But then when it doesn't work, <laughs> then, you're, then, then the estrogen goes back down because I'm not getting the support I need. But then it feels good to share that. But then you create a loop in your brain which starts really getting addicted to complaining. And they've done brain scans on people who were uh, depressed for years and years and years. And whenever they, they lost a child and they never got over it in terms of being happy again, maybe you never get over, you lost a child, but you, you can find happiness again. But these people could never find happiness again. And they would just have a picture of the child in the MRI chamber and the, they would look at what happens in the brain when they're crying about the child and the, the brain lights up with dopamine as if they took cocaine. Wow. Reminiscing on the past, just not being able to like, looking at the past from a negative perspective. I lost that. I lost that. I lost that. And a lot of women will feel uh, my husband's no longer the way he used to be. And there's regret and there's remorse and there's feeling bad and disappointment and all that. It, it becomes very, very addictive and it's addictive and it's estrogen producing. It's not a good thing. And um, 
Some people just fall into that habit. So you want to get out of that habit by recognizing every complaint is a request, but you don't know how to request without complaining. So you learn how to make a request. So what you do is I, first I give you an example of how it works and I'll talk why it worked. So my okay. wife wanted me to, I'm forgetting to turn out the light in the living room quite often after a while. She's very annoyed by that, very upset about that. Cause in her female brain, she's going, if he won't do something little, what if I depend on him for something big? Now from the male point of view, it's just something little. If there's something big, of course I'll do that. Okay. But again, not understanding each other, <laughs> whatever. And you know, the frustration of wanting your partner to change and they keep repeating the same annoying thing. It just builds and builds. So that became a target for her frustration. She realized that the more upset she was about, the less I would change. Not that I consciously, it just, I'd forget to turn out the light. Then one day she said, I'll try another approach. And that is, is not to use disapproval, not to use upset, not to use blame, not to be upset with me, nothing. And I was making a sandwich in the kitchen. She pokes her head in the window and she big smile on her face. She had a beautiful smile. And she's, oh, John, like something great was going to happen. And she said, I noticed you've been turning out the light more often. And I just want to remind you how much I love it. And it's not a big deal, but sometimes you still forget. And then she walked out of the room. Four factors there when I analyzed. Boy, that she did that three times and the problem was solved. Almost always I turned out the light. Um, amazing. Now, what did she say? She basically, instead of being disappointed with me, she was happy about something. Immediately, that raises a man's testosterone. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's happy about something. Okay, so she's happy. Then she acknowledges something good I did. I've noticed you've turned out been turning out the light more often now. Okay, so uh that's something good. Then she said, I want to remind you how good it makes me feel. So now I got the reinforcement makes her feel good. She could have said, I want to remind you because still sometimes you forget. Nope, she didn't do that. I want to remind you because how good it makes me feel. And it's not a big deal. That's the most magic part of it. And it's not a big deal. But sometimes you still forget and then walks out of the room. Short, simple. These are all powerful aspects of asking for more in a relationship. And each one is an opposite of what women typically do when they finally get around to mm -hmm. asking something as a complaint. So that could be listened to over and over and over just to get the dynamics of that. And it, it's realizing how to get more from a man is give him more of what he needs. I want more from my wife. Give her more of what she needs. What she needs more of is more understanding of her, listening to her caring about her, prioritizing her, that's called respecting her, validating the emotions that she has. These are all reassuring her that she's the most important person in my life. These are all key factors that stimulate estrogen. They build trust. So if I give that, that's all put that in the category of just, I care about her. What do I get in response? I get someone who depends on me, who can trust me for something significant. Trust. What do I get? I get acceptance for who I am, no rejection. And I get appreciated for what I do because I did all those things that respected her, honored her, and so forth. What are the major things that produce testosterone in a man or a woman? What produces testosterone in anybody is to depend on them. Okay. I depend on you. We need your help. You're the guy. Oh, he's here. We're happy to see him. Okay. He did it. That's dependent. Depending means I trust you. I accept not to be perfect, but for what I need, it's meaningful. 
I accept you just the way you are. So what if you track some dirt in the house, you fix the roof. Okay. So you're like more forgiving, more accepting if you're depending on someone for something significant. And the third thing is he does something for you that you can depend on. You appreciate him. Appreciation. While women need to be appreciated, they often don't feel appreciated and, and often it's a bummer, but men aren't good at appreciating, <laughs> but we are good at respecting. We can learn to respect, but women are like the, the eternal cheerleaders. You know, you're, you can do it, all that. You have the ability, the love in your heart to appreciate what he does. And that's the key to it. Appreciate less when he doesn't do more for you, but when he does things for you, it's like paying him for a job. There has to be something in it for him because he's going to do something. The male side of us does things and will continue to do more if they get paid. The payment in a relationship is a woman's appreciation, her acceptance of, of him just the way he is. And, and that's a hard one because you want to have more in a relationship. That's why dating is so wonderful. You accept them just the way they are. You figure once we get married, then I can work on changing him. <laughs> then yeah. it, it's challenging for a man. We want to feel accepted that we're not, don't have to be perfect to be loved. And then we want to be better. There, there's a interesting concept of people teaching, just accept yourself the way you are. That doesn't mean you stop there. It means accept yourself the way you are. And if you actually do that, you'll want to be better. There's nothing wrong with being better and wanting to have more. And just as, as uh, everybody in their work world wants more success, generally speaking, uh, yeah. everybody in a relationship, if you're a woman, wants more. I teach this to men. Look, there's nothing wrong with their wanting more. But how to communicate that wanting more is an art. It's an art of how to ask for what you want at the right time and the right amount and the right ways. There's, I write about this in my books, but back to those hormones. So here you are at perimenopause, start fo and then in menopause and then after menopause, all those times you focus on some of these basic ideas that I'm promoting here for women, which is do more what you like to do and enjoy doing. That's going to help progesterone production. That's going to help one part of you that you're here to have fun. Uh, you're here to enjoy your life. Your joy brings, makes the world a better place. Your love makes the world a better place. But just as much, your happiness makes the world a better place. If you ask me, what is the purpose of being a human being? We have two sides. The male side of us, our purpose is to make a difference, to help other people. That's it. If you're not helping other people, you're depressed. And the flip side, and we help ourselves so we can help other people. Uh, immature man, first have to learn to help yourself. But then now, why am I doing that? The purpose of life is so I can help others, have a significant contribution to others. If we're neurotic, nothing's ever significant enough. But basically, <laughs> start just helping people, and you'll you'll your your depression over the what, why would I want to hear for in this world? It goes away. You immediately get gratification. So we're here. Our male side is here to make a difference, and the female side of us is here to be happy. That's the purpose of life: is to be happy. And life goes the wrong direction when women aren't happy, and when men are happy. Okay, men are too happy now and women are too busy, in my opinion. Okay, they're taking on right. too much and men are enjoying themselves too much. Uh, and we can <laughs> simply put that into all of our addictions. You know, you see the younger generation, they're addicted to games and video games and, uh, and 
pornography. You know, this is these kinds of things is for pleasure. The hedonistic life eventually is an empty life. I remember reading this, maybe seeing the movie of Don Juan. And, you know, he went through all these women on his hedonistic pleasure. And he went back to this one woman and she wouldn't marry him. (laughs) She said, can't trust you because you can make any woman feel like she's a million bucks. Uh, And yet you'll go right to the next and right to the next. That's a superpower that some men have. They don't mean to Mm -hmm. uh, fool women. It's just when they're in the moment, they're just so much in the moment. But then they'll move on and move on and move on because they're hedonists. And he was a hedonist. And we all are hedonists to some extent until we evolve into what's the point of pleasure so that we can feel more. And what do we want to feel more? We want to feel and express love more. And, and this is this is particularly for men, it's a growing up awareness. For women, the growing up awareness is more about, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to ask for what I want. I deserve, and if you appreciate what you get, then you get more. Okay, that's the challenge with all this. If you just say, yeah, I deserve everything. Well, you do, but you have to get there and you can't let it in until you appreciate what you got and then a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But that is a noble thing, which is to be happy. And a lot of women are single listening to this and they go out on dates with men. And today there's so much pressure to have sex. There's even a kind of an obligation, like I should want to have sex and women historically never had that obligation because we had a culture that said men couldn't have sex until they married you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> until and we don't have that anymore. Now you, you've got uh, the culture saying, Hey, everybody can enjoy sex. What's the problem? We have birth control, we have abortion. So free, everything's free, free, casual sex. You'll lose your soul in casual sex. Maybe you want to have fun, do that, but you'll lose your soul too much of that. So, if you if you set the boundary, he will respect you, but you have to set the boundary. And sometimes even women don't receive from men just because they're afraid of feeling obligated to him. So I'm making a point is if he takes you to dinner, just know that women want to be reciprocal. Like if you do something for me, I want to do something for you. That's a natural feminine quality. It's a beautiful quality. So if he's doing something for you, how are you going to reciprocate? Enjoy the meal. That's a perfect reciprocation. You don't owe him anything. You gave him the joy of his life, which is he's able to make a woman smile. That literally enriches his life. And to know that that's part of your value is that your happiness brings the world a better place. You don't owe him anything. And while I'm on that, just, I know our time is running out, so I'm going to just, but start with love. Make sure a man, get naked first in your mind with a man and feel loved. Then get naked emotionally with a man. Uh, which is means he does things for you and you feel true appreciation and delight in his presence before you get naked physically. Let him earn his way in. Uh, it's very, very important. Men, they bond because they earn their way to achieve something. That's how they bond. That's such good advice. That's amazing. I could talk to you for hours. Um uh, I realize that you're very much in demand, but well, I know you have your audience and I wanted you to be able to ask a few more questions. And I know you have some questions for your audience. So maybe a few questions. I'll try to give short answers. It probably wasn't, wouldn't be a short answer, but I did want to ask you in terms of the hormone levels and the relationship behaviors, um, for some women, they lose interest, which you covered a little bit, lose interest in their partners a little bit, and they also lose their libido 
do you have a couple of yes, yes, tips such a, that could help them there? Yes, very, very important. These are all like important things. So thanks for bringing that up. Okay, libido in women is their adrenal gland is not kicking into gear. Okay, it's, it's exhausted. So coming back to why we talked about that. And when there's two ways for women, to, libido in a woman is testosterone. And quite often, if you look at a healthy woman's increase of testosterone in a, in a more romantic setting, what happens is there's something called dating and foreplay. Foreplay raise its attention on her. It's not attention on him. He's doing things for her. She's the center of attention. Uh, she's feeling beautiful. She's seen, heard, valued, whatever. That attention on her feels like, oh, this is what I need. This feels good. This feels good. Her estrogen levels are rising. Now, at a certain point, when a woman's estrogen levels rise, and you can see this in her natural cycle, then luteinizing hormone starts to go up. And then what happens, once estrogen hits a high level, automatically her libido will start to increase. You can see this testosterone starts to increase. So until her estrogen levels go high, her testosterone doesn't take a jump. That's her being interested in sex. So many married couples, women will say, you know, my husband wanted to have sex. I just said, oh, okay, I'll have sex with him. Even though I wasn't into it, I didn't really want to do it. It wasn't, I didn't want to do it. I love him. I like to make him happy. But at a certain point it kicks in and she goes, but then after a little while, I start wanting to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a normal thing, which is if she's busy in the world where her estrogen levels aren't you know, high enough, she's not going to feel her desire for sex. Or she's not going to get that extra testosterone boost. So she just needs more foreplay. She needs more time and attention. And she needs regularity. It's very important that couples have sex once a week. Very, very important. Uh, it's really hard to pick up speed, but you just, make a, you just act as if you want to do it. And, and that's a key thing. Uh, like that woman who read my book, Mars Venus in the Bedroom, <laughs> she just said, I'm just going to go do it, do it, do it. And everything just changed. And now I'm enjoying it, whatever. But I'm not saying every day do it or anything like that. Once a week. Once a week is a really good rhythm, a good routine. I say that now with great confidence because they did research on males and males who had sex twice a week had much lower testosterone. If a man has sex on Saturday night and abstains from any sort of sexual release for six days, on the seventh day when he wakes up, his testosterone increases for that day 50%. So it's like he's back to having that strong desire which, by the way, when a man has a surge of testosterone like that, he puts out a smell that raises her estrogen levels. And in the same mm. way, as her estrogen levels start rising, she puts out a smell that raises his testosterone. And this is all documented and true as well. So we just want to get into that rhythm where he releases on Saturday night and doesn't for six days. And then seventh day, his testosterone is boosted again. And when it goes 50% higher, that's what really raises her estrogen uh, sooner. Okay. And, 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 and good sex knowledge is important there, but just get in there and start even with gentle massaging and whatever, just a non-sexual massage produces so much oxytocin that that's safety that then allows estrogen levels to start opening up and depending on him to enjoy sex more. But Try to just start again without the goal of trying to have an orgasm or any of that stuff. Just enjoy having someone touch you and say, you know, would you just give me a massage? Maybe we can start out with my feet. We're just going to do it once a week. Wonderful, wonderful to bring that back. Uh, 
And a lot of what happens with the lower of estrogen after menopause is the vaginal lining becomes very thin and, and then sex mm. painful. This is something that uh, is disastrous. Okay. And usually it's the result because you weren't having regular sex before, because one better than communication, if the setting is right, intercourse is stimulating her vagina that produces way more estrogen that then lubricates the area that then makes the tissue very strong again. Estrogen actually thickens the lining of the vaginal canal. So all of that through regular sex can start also producing the estrogen, which will make sex more uh, comfortable. In the meantime, you just have sex without having penetration and just stimulation without a lot of focus on orgasm, just enjoying it. I'm really enjoying this. I really care about this. This feels really good to me. And then have a conversation. This is so mind-blowing, great stuff never heard it before. I've experimented with this. I help so many couples with this knowledge, but it's basically ultimately any woman who is low in estrogen is basically not able to fully depend on someone. And why can't you fully depend on someone? Because you feel somewhere deep inside, if I really depended on them, they would not be there. It's feeling security. So nothing wrong with insecurity. We all have insecurities. When I'm looking at my bank account, when I'm driving my fancy car, it's because I want people to think I'm wonderful. <laughs> okay, that's it. It comes from a place of insecurity. Doesn't mean that's all I am. So you have a conversation with your partner. It looks like this. Honey, I know you love me, but sometimes in my own insecurity, I have doubts that I deserve your love. That's the most vulnerable thing you can say. I have doubts that, you, that I deserve your love, as opposed to I have a doubts that you still love me. He could hear that as blame. So rather than I have doubts that you still love me, although maybe somebody can hear that. It's not, I, you have said, I know you love me, but sometimes my own insecurities come up and I have doubts that, you, that I deserve your love or that you don't love me and that we're growing apart. Any of those things is very vulnerable to say. First, you said, I know you love me. You're, we're, like, you care about me, but my own insecurities start to come up. Maybe as I'm getting older, I'm not as beautiful as I used to be. I've got these wrinkles, whatever you want to say. So I have these insecurities. And what would feel really good to me is for me to say, do you love me? And for you to say, yes, I love you. And for me to say, how much do you love me? And for you to say, I love you so much. I will always love you. Okay. Now you already, you've got a script. You're going to do this little script. So in making love, if I begin to feel my insecurities, I'm going to say that. And would you give me the reassurance that I need? And he'll say, yes, no man will say no, as long as you set it up. If you don't set it up and you say, do you love me? Of course I love you. I married you. I bought this car for you. I, you know, it doesn't make sense. So you create a context where those words are magic, where a woman will then say at, at certain points of, do you think I'm beautiful? Whatever your insecurities are, and you've already given him the phrases to say it, but a simple one to start with is, do you love me? Yes, I love you. How much do you love me? <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> and that's it. And you can see this many, many times, just like if you were being touched in a certain way, you went it over and over and over. This is a kind of verbal intimacy that's profound between a couple that dearly loves each other. And that will produce huge amounts of estrogen. It's a major estrogen producer and a major testosterone producer for him. And you can do that even before you're able to have intercourse because then maybe it's too painful. Now, having said that, I came up with this and then I, because it all makes sense to me once I understand hormones. So I said this in one of my seminars 
you know, 40 people were there, one of my intimate seminars. And I said, now, how many women would love to hear those words from a man in the bedroom? And every woman raised her hand. And I was astonished. You know, I thought maybe this was just in my relationship. It's, this is so profound, but it's another way to bump the estrogen up along with the commitment to having sex once a week. Very, very important things. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That's, oh, I just can, you know, it must give so much value to so many relationships in our community, I hope, and mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very, very helpful. And I, I want people to know they can listen to this again and again because there was a lot of content that I went through very fast. But uh, there's also a book called Beyond Mars and Venus that I cover a lot of this. The last question on sex was a wonderful book to read with your partner to bring back sexual feelings or even if you're having them is a chapter a night on uh, Mars, Venus in the bedroom. So the book of the topic I cover today is Beyond Mars and Venus. And I have a wonderful website, marsvenus.com, where we have different classes. I mentioned one of them where women can understand the three different aspects of me time, you time, and we time. And my daughter teaches these classes. We write them together okay. and she teaches them. And we have another one, which is the best, which is called Understanding Men. I recommend any woman, it's a six-week course to take Understanding Men. It can be very, very helpful. And all that's at marsvenus.com. Great. Thank you so much. And I know you've given us a free gift for our listeners as well. So thank you very much for that. And I'll link to all of those in the show notes as well. And we so appreciate you coming and spending some time with us and sharing your huge um, body of knowledge. You're very welcome. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women on Fire. If you love what we share, please subscribe and give us a rating and or a review. In addition, you could visit the Minomi YouTube channel. That handle is Minomi100. And there you can subscribe and watch all the interviews. Minomi is our sponsor. So do visit the website at www.minomi, that's M E N O, short for menopause, me, M E, short for you.co.nz. That's the best way to support this podcast so we can continue to bring it to you. Thank you for your interest in midlife menopause and women on fire.